Welcome to another episode of The Lowdown. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by the Academy Director of Valencia, Sean Boy, to discuss all things, including his route into the game, working at Valencia and all things youth development. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Connor. It's a pleasure to be here. And we are definitely able to talk about every everything under the sun about youth development and football. Fantastic. Um, Sean, I know prior to getting into football, you had a pretty unconventional route. Could you tell our listeners about how you ended up going from being a diplomat in Singapore to your role now as Academy Director at Valencia? So, so previously, I, I served about seven years in the Foreign Ministry for Singapore. And thereafter, um, my previous uh, boss, uh, he, he became the president of Valencia Club de Football. Uh, there was an opening and I was very interested. I've been a huge fan of football all my life. Um, you know, coming from Singapore and Asia, football is, is, is almost like a religion as well. We have always been able to see it from afar. So when the opportunity to really enter the football industry came up, it was something I couldn't miss. Um, I've been in the club for two and a half years. And, and I started off as the director of the president's office to help out with a lot of coordination across the different departments and and the academy is uh, essentially a very big cornerstone of our club and and that was something that I, I have a huge interest in as well in terms of youth development and it's also a long-term project where we we invest a lot uh, in terms of scouting the best talents from the region from the world developing them and, and I mean being someone relatively young in the football industry there's an area which I felt I could bring in new ideas, fresh ideas, coupled with, with the good colleagues that we already have in the club. And this is something that we, we are doing for the long term. We are very committed to this project. I, I, I used to play water polo in Singapore. So I have a great interest in sports coming from a very young age and also to look at all the various ways and ideas that might come from outside of the industry and to see how we can actually explore and test out as many ideas as possible to get an edge in terms of youth development. And perhaps, Sean, would you be able to shed some light on some of those ideas from different industries which we have sought to incorporate into Valencia? So basically, um, what, what has been a very conventional expectation in football and youth development is that there are generally three main components where you can focus on. The first is in terms of um, player training. Second is in terms of your facilities, having the, the, the good facilities, equipment and all that. And the third is in the area of scouting, which is to find and identify the best players from the region. So essentially with, with this as a foundation for most of the academies, what we wanted to do was to find a comparative advantage where we could squeeze up an advantage or a niche uh, where we could get a 5% head start or advantage over all our rivals. So one of the things that we have started to look at is to change the perspective of young footballers, not as a commodity, but as a human, a person, to, to look at a more holistic development of all these young talents because Many times uh, people or fans, we, we, we forget that these are players, football players, but they are 
they are they are in reality very very young young people as well. They come to they, they come into the football industry at the age of five six years old. We often forget that they are their children as well. So we 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 have invested a lot of resources in terms of their development apart from the footballing side. So we 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 put in uh, we we have collaborations with schools, good schools, to send them to give them a more well-rounded development to to help them grow as a person, to help them grow as an adult as well. Apart from you know having football twenty four seven, you you go for trainings. After that, you watch matches on the TV, and then you you're playing uh, FIFA on your PlayStation. It's football twenty four seven. So what we want them to have is also uh, a maturing process of mentally, and also apart from the 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 training that is more physical. So this is a, a key area which we have invested a lot. Um, and, and the other part is we have been putting in a lot of effort to, to grow them as a family in, in the academy. Because, it, I mean, I mean if, if the focus is overly on the footballing result, the academy essentially becomes a very cold place without any uh, uh, feeling or sentiments. So we have also seen that, you know, psychologically, when you have a much more conducive environment, apart from your facilities, the hardware, the software, the human connection, that is an area which is uh, often overlooked as well. And one, uh, one other key area that we have been looking at is in terms of individual training. Because essentially in the football academy, the biggest difference from professional footballers, at the professional level, you look at how the team perform as a team. You can have your star players, but your team has to deliver as a team. But in the academy, there is a far greater attention in terms of the individual as well. We, we, we have to customize the training to cater to each individual player according to his progression. We have, um, we have a dedicated department to look into that because you have some young talents who are moving to the first team some talents who might have been hampered by injuries, who might have a bad season. But essentially, we also have to tailor according to their needs and their progression. If, if he has an injury, we have to slow it down, pack it down a little, and see how we can, can accelerate his, his progression again. And you, 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 we, we have seen a lot of young players who have made the step to the professional level. But thereafter, you know, their career is, is, is cut because their development essentially stops at the level. In the professional level, you don't have enough support coming for young players because they have a gap of two or three years of development less than their, their companions in the first team, the, 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 the older players. So these are the gaps that we have been trying to plug. We have also been looking at um, a more data science-oriented approach to, towards our work so that there is a there is a better plan for all the young players in terms of their development rather than something that goes by instincts, something that goes by feelings. So, so all in all, um, I, I think to sum it up, I think the, the, the summary will be that we are looking at them in a much closer detail as a person to cater to their different needs, developmental needs as well, uh, emotional needs as well. And hopefully, through all these angles, we can make a difference in terms of their development.
absolutely terrific insight, Sean, which you've just elaborated upon there as to the overarching kind of approach as to which Valencia adopts. Um, I suppose I have multiple questions as posed, the main one being, you take a guy like Carlos Soler, right? who's obviously played at the Champions League, he's played at international level, and he's in the integral role of the Valencia team. For every Carlos Soler produced at that Valencia Academy, possibly you're missing out on 25, 30 guys that don't necessarily make it to the pro game. However, it would be, you can't really say all those 25, 30 guys are failures necessarily. They're each success stories in their own right. Now, as you elaborated upon there, the philosophy in a way now it's more about human human capital treating each player individually so to speak would you say the overarching That's philosophy right. of the valencia academy has changed therefore since you've been handed reins so to speak was there was there a much drastic different philosophy perhaps yes uh definitely i think it's a it's a big change i think um because in a way, it's also part of our work to adapt to the new trend in football. So because, I mean, today you see a lot of discussions about young players being priced at astronomical values and all that. And it creates a, a different kind of expectation and pressure for, for the players, for the family, for the agents, the, the entire environment. So one of the th things that we have been very careful about is that we have been very upfront all our players so firstly we, we we emphasize to our players every year that look out of the hundred players that we have in in a certain generation probably one or two makes it to our first team you have a few others who might be able to make the cut for professional football in other clubs other leagues and all that but this is the reality and and they have to understand also that their, their progression does not end here because in the case of Carlos Soler, you know, there were people who said that, you know, uh, when he was much younger, not sure whether he could make the cut, but with a bit more patience and a bit uh, more understanding at the deeper level, hey, his progression is actually in a positive trajectory. Then you can invest more resources and help in his development. But if we are going to look at a lot of all these players with a much hastier approach where we need immediate results, then I think that is uh, the, the wrong direction to take. So the biggest change that we have taken is to really change the perspective of an academy to a platform where young people can make mistakes. You can have uh, your development plateau for a few months, no problem. This is the stage where we can afford to do it and where we have a lot more patience and support because the moment when you have young players going, even if, if they make it to the first team and if they start a few games, they don't perform well. It is a huge um, setback for them. And essentially, that could end a young player's career. But um, if, if they are able to understand that and approach their own personal development with less haste, a bit more patience, uh, we, we believe that that, that that is a very positive development and that is a very big change for us because the, the other thing is this, this change does not only happen with the players but also with the coaches, with the parents, with the families because 
we need our coaches and we have been convincing them as well. Look, your, your job here in the academy is to develop train, uh, players. It is, it is not to win tournaments. You can win tournaments, but if, if the player doesn't develop at, at, a, at a rate that is good for his uh, progression, then that defeats the whole purpose of our academy. Essentially, we have to, to grow. And if we have to lose games, you know, even a trashing of 5-0, 6-0, I, I certainly believe that it is better to have that defeat in the academy rather than at the first team level where there are far more uh, uh, serious consequences. Right? So this is a value and a philosophy that we have inculcated in the academy over the past few years. We have to also take the tougher win. Our message to the players is, you know, winning in the academy is not enough. You have to look at the other aspects in terms of, as a player, are you growing in terms of your mental capacity, in terms of your psychological approach to games, in terms of your own physical progression? If a player, you know, breezes through the academy, every category, he, he is, you know, the top scorer, he's performing very well. And the moment he's confronted with a tough situation at a much older stage, that can essentially paralyze a, a player's career. So this is um, an approach that we share across the club in the academy. We also have to constantly remind everyone in the academy, the players, the, the, the coaches as well, the, the, the parents. You see, if, you're, if your boy uh, is in the under-19 team now, but we, we bring him down to the under-18 team for, for six months. All these are done with the consideration of his development at the, for the long term, rather than, you know, we should not look at it as a step backwards. You know, because if a player is good, we have to sometimes take all these tough decisions as well to ensure that the progression is there. We, we are not going to be silly and just cut the player's career, you know, and push him to the limit and, and break the, 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 the players at this stage. So um, it, is, it is definitely a very big difference because internally with our colleagues as well, we have a lot of feedback that, you know, sometimes there, are, there, there is a bit of hesitation. Like, are you sure we want to do this? We want to have this philosophical change because it's something that many people are not used to. But I think over the past two years, we have seen a lot more benefits coming out of this. People start to get used to it. Um, change is always uncomfortable for everyone but once you see some of the results once we have some of the lower hanging fruits people start to pick up on the momentum and with more support we, 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 we have this uh, confidence and mandate to really do more and this is the area which we really want to push we don't want to remain stagnant we don't want to just be winning games in the academy level 5-0-6-0 players scoring many goals uh, we want to be confronted with difficult situations. And, and as a result, I think in the long term, we can grow as an institution of talent development. Of course. I think it's always important to emphasize that when you're trying to instigate organizational change, like you guys are, Sean, that often the results are delayed. You know, the results aren't instantaneous so to speak, and just having Ben Littleton on recently, um, who wrote the wonderful book that is Edge, speaking about 
the soft skills and tangible concepts that you can't necessarily measure, such as confidence, cohesion, yep. resilience, that you won't see the results for two, three, four plus years even. But what you are doing now, essentially putting the process above results, so to speak, is a ballsy and gutsy move for any academy to be making, you know, in light of recent events. But then just to touch upon more, you said earlier on you don't necessarily believe in standardizing youth development according to a club model. You are growing that talent organically, treating each case separately. And yes. now you've unified the player's ambition, so to speak, with your own ambition and motive and the coaches as well, so everybody's on the same page. Yeah. How does the support staff look at the academy level for not each player, but perhaps each age group? Is it mainly you have the academy manager, such as yourself, you have coaches then, but also do you guys employ data analysis? Is there club psychologists? What does that support staff look like? Um, right now, apart from the main sporting side, which we are familiar with, we have a, a far more advanced and bigger physical preparation department that looks at their physical developmental needs. That is an area which we have moved more towards sports science to look at the data, the statistics, to compare over the years as well and to compare across the different age groups and categories. Um, we also have our, our psychology department to look more at um, how to create um, a winning mentality. It, it's not so much of a, you know, a consoling or encouraging players, but more of you know, building the type of resilience that we mentioned about. Um, and then they work very closely these two departments with our medical services, because from in, in, in the past, from a medical service point of view, I just want to treat the player. I want to prepare them, ensure they are in good condition. But we have to marry that with our sporting needs as well. So we have all these other supporting departments that come in to look at how we can um, bridge the understanding between a more technical side, more support side with the sporting needs. Um, and, and in terms of this, we also have a nutritionist, dedicated nutritionist to help them get used to uh, the diets of a professional footballer. We have tutors in our residence to, to help them with their, their, their work outside of school. Um, we, we, we have um, a, a admin media department helping them with uh, organizing social events to help them get in touch with society as well. So we have a lot of all these different parts that come together and, um, and bring together to bridge the sporting and the non-sporting thing, which is something relatively new, even, even for us. Um, this is something that, to be honest, we have faced some resistance at the start because as I have said um, in the football industry, there is a long-standing history or norms of how things should be done or which department has the priority or bigger say over other department. So with, with all these departments, we have been slowly adding to it uh, as we move along with a more consensus building approach across all our staff. So we, we, our, our, our coaches, our analysts, you know, now they, they, they appreciate a lot of the feedback from our physical trainers, 
they, they, they are interested to find out more from our, our nutritionists about the conditions, from the doctors about the situation, and also from uh, our methodology department, which, which looks at the, the, the sporting and, and playing style that we implement at different levels. So in a way, this is a more administrative and cultural challenge which we overcame which is to build the connections across all these, all these different departments to, to, to understand the value of that the other department brings to this project. So this is relatively young, a project that's relatively young, as you have said, um, as you have noticed as well, um, it, it will probably take a few years to really see big results coming our way. But our, our, our feeling is that, you know, the day that you you harvest the fruits it's not the day that when you plant the seeds you need time so so with and 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 i've said basically we are trying different ideas some of these might fail in the long term but the the approach that we want is that all of us in the academy we really want to try new ideas we want to support each other with with new um, approaches new manners it can be new resources and we'll test out if it doesn't work at least we know for sure that this doesn't work and we have to try a different approach. But without trying all these different things, without the help of our new support staff and departments as well, we will never know. And we will always be laggards in, in this whole football industry following what other people do. So hopefully, hopefully in, in a few years time, we see a lot more um, uh, positive results coming our way. But I would say that in, in, as a whole, there is a much more positive uh, environment and, and feeling now in the academy where you know, we see all our, our, our companions, our colleagues bringing in value, adding value to our work in different aspects. Things that might be very new, might be something unusual. I mean, I'll give you an example. We, we organize a workshop on Pilates and football. That is something that is unheard of, something rare, including, you know, there were there were views about, I think it's something that's more for, for the ladies, not really for, you know, a very masculine sport like, like ours. But we brought it in. We challenged the boys to do the exercises. They were, they were in pain after that, you know, and we realized, hey, actually this is something new and we found it very interesting. So, so we, we are going to do a lot more ideas, a lot more evaluation as well. Does this work for us? Does this, or can we, can we tweak it a bit? To help us and in this process the support staff feels a bit more appreciated they feel that their 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 expertise in a different field is being valued in our academy as well and there is a lot more interaction going on across the sporting side the support side and and hopefully we can we can continue growing in this manner it's remarkable when you distill it down sean how an ecosystem such as yours at the Academy in Valencia actually works together in unison towards one intended outcome, so to speak. I suppose one key theme which keeps popping up in our conversation when we've spoken today and of course spoken before has been that it's such a young project. And of course, this project has also overlapped with COVID in the past okay. year. And once you're trying to instigate, I suppose, cultural change, there are supposedly right now of course there has been so much challenges with communication i'm just wondering curious 
whilst embarking upon this cultural change, so to speak, over the past 12 months, what challenges mm-hmm. have you guys faced with communication? I suppose it just hasn't been as simple as gathering the methodology and group mm. within house tutors in breakout rooms, so to speak. I mean, how have you guys accommodated that? I think, um, uh, to be honest, this, this was a very big challenge because in the past, for example, between coaches of different teams, between your, your, your reserves and the under-19, they don't have that much interaction between them as well. And in fact, there is always a bit of competition between all the teams in the academy because they want to do better than the other one. They want to outshine the other team. So one, one big change that I've noticed over the past few months with COVID, with a lot of players who were missing out or, or who were not fit and all that, it was we noticed coaches being more proactive and helpful towards the other teams as well. Do you need this player? Okay, I can make do with this. And, there's, and, and therefore, there was a lot more coordination. And this is, is ultimately very, very important for us. And... And, and positive for the project that we're doing. In terms of communication, what we have done is to um, do a lot of regular small group meetings, a lot of presentations to our staff to, to understand and to align them to what we're trying to do, to, to help them understand that a lot of all these KPIs, key performance indicators, you know, are, are shared across the teams rather than something that is, uh, that belongs solely to the coach or to a certain department. Because um, in the past, you know, if, if I'm from the methodology department and you're the coach, I share something with you, my job is done. It ends there. I'm, I'm going to take the box that I've presented something to Connor. Now it's his responsibility. But with a lot more interaction, sometimes it's engineered, socially engineered. We put our coaches uh, from the teams in a shared working space. So you start hearing from each other, you start seeing each other, you start sharing more ideas and giving more comments. So all these things have created a much more conducive environment in terms of the, the, the preparation side. We have done um, a lot more um, workshops together with our coaches, with our partner schools outside of our academy. So through these processes and events, we get to know all our people better. They get to know what we're trying to do better as well. Otherwise, essentially for, for most of the people, it will just be about, you know, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. I want to have my players promoted to the next level. But once they are more involved and, and we start seeing a lot of our colleagues from different departments going in to join the teams during the training, to, going, to go to the ground, to, to observe, to have feedback, to, to have more interaction during the COVID period. One of the, I mean, it was, it's an unfortunate pandemic, but at the same time, it, it created a lot of all these opportunities where some of our staff from the administrative department, they had to double head as a second coach for one of the younger teams, you know? And then they start seeing what my colleague in this department is facing or going through. What are the areas I can help from my department? And, and thereafter, that created a lot of good feelings and good uh, vibes across all our teams and departments. And, and that has really generated a very pos- positive momentum in our academy. Um, we have also been looking more in terms of people development. 
we have created a new uh, a department. In this, in this area, what we do essentially is, one is to communicate constantly with, with, with our staff in a one-on-one -on -one basis, in a small group basis, as a whole, um, to, to communicate to them what we want to achieve as, as a team, and also to, to hear from them what they, are, what they are encountering, what are the obstacles, their own personal objectives. And, and this is, I would say, something that people really appreciate when we listen to them as well. What is the problem, you know? And uh, the other part is we have also invested a lot in terms of upgrading our stuff. So when we do all these conferences and workshops, it is also an opportunity for our staff to profile themselves, to, to grow and to, to learn. If there are causes that can help them upgrade their skills, we promote them as well. We support them in all these causes as well. So in a way, I think internally, um, one of the best examples to really summarize this is that during the, the, the pandemic, during the lockdown and all that, we were seeing each other online far more than what we would have done normally. And that has really been very positive for, for everyone, you know, to always be constantly in touch, seeing each other, you know, joining each other's uh, uh, online training sessions with their players and teams, uh, virtual trainings. You know, uh, we do a lot more um, uh, uh, workshops and seminars with the coaches as well, with different departments. Uh, so, so, so this is something that has helped a lot, a lot. And, and, but definitely we, we, we can do more, much more in this area. This communication is not a one-off kind of thing. We have to constantly communicate, constantly evaluate, hear from them, help them um, you know, with certain problems that they might be facing and also um, give them a clear idea of the progression for the staff as well, how they can grow as a coach, as a support staff and and this, I think, has um, you know, even even the coaches in the youngest level, for the for the under six team, under seven team, they start to feel this connection and, and, and interaction. And I think this has been the most important ingredient in terms of internal communication. And I'm just curious, Sean, do you think it really needed a catalyst like COVID to kind of set off that organizational change, so to speak? in terms of changing how we communicate? Or do you think that can be done in-house? I, I think it's possible. Uh, and I don't want to come across as sounding like uh, I'm so happy that COVID happened. <laughs> but um, I think essentially it disrupted the entire academy scene where you know trainings became a luxury. Like even for us right now, we only resumed our, our trainings about a month ago the tournaments for the younger kids just last weekend. So now you realize that, hey, this is, we, we have to adapt. That we, we are not going back to the old normal. We are, we are probably heading towards a new normal that no one has any idea what, what, is, what, what it looks like. And um, um, this has really taken people out of their comfort zone because in the past, you know, you to, for, for your own, profile for your team. The KPS are pretty much the same across all the academies, the teams. But 
during a COVID period where we had to adapt to, to different situations and all that, um, we, we, we have to evaluate our, our, ourselves and our staff according to different indicators now. So people are now much more open to change as well. And, and that, that is positive. But I think apart from this disruption in terms of COVID, the biggest, the other big factor that, that really pushed and perpetuated this, this change in culture for us is the alignment in the, within the club to the academy. I, I, my, my, my feeling and sensation for a lot of other academies and clubs is that, yes, you can have a huge academy investing a lot of money, but do they have a coherent pathway or plan from the academy to the first team? This is always the biggest question because if, if I'm a player or I'm a coach in your academy, grooming players, and, but if I don't feel that there is that clear pathway to, that, to the next level, then essentially my project ends at the academy level. But for us, I think over the years, people have noticed also, we have been sometimes aggressively promoting a lot of young players to the first team level, to the squad. And that creates a very real uh, belief and confidence that that is entirely possible for me as well, entirely possible for the coaches, possible for the teams, for the players. And the close coordination with the first team and the academy, we, we, we have you know, gotten rid of this tag that the academy is always the, the small brother that picks up the crumbs from the first team. People, we have our, our technical staff who have moved up to work with the first team. We maintain close relationship with them. We have like our individual training department that I mentioned about where we customize training. Uh, he, he, he is involved in the first team training on a daily basis. So we have all these information sharing and such a close relation between the first team, the club and the academy. So that helps to perpetuate the confidence in, including right down to the, 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 the youngest categories that, hey, what I'm doing really has a value. What I'm doing is, is uh, contributing to the project as a whole. And therefore, I want to be part of this project rather than just doing my, my fair share, you know, my, my job is just this, my job description says that I'm, I only have to do this, but now people are, are stepping forth. So coupled with the pandemic, coupled with this change in, in, in philosophy and, and culture of the club as a whole, we have seen, you know, during, during the, the lockdown, even the youngest teams, the coaches and the players, doing content and videos to, to share with the rest of the club, uh, to share with our media team, which otherwise, you know, in, in a much more comfortable stage, no one would have taken the initiative to do all these things. So I think COVID has accelerated that process, but internally, I think there has to be a, a very serious buy-in into wanting to make the academy a big project. And that trickles down to the rest of the staff and the structure. If you don't mind me saying, Sean, I think that's a great example of, of leadership, so to speak. As a coach, um, you know, we're frequently told to give players increased ownership to increase their yeah. responsibility within the group. Yeah. And I suppose you yourself being at the front of Valencia Academy 
seem to have certainly done that with your coaches and support staff. And it's terrific to hear how big you guys are on human side. I suppose on the flip side, as regards numbers, Sean, as regards data science, yes. you I know you guys have an expansive recruitment team at Valencia. At an academy level, I suppose, what are some of the KPIs you guys would look for in recruiting a player? For for us in the academy level, our our focus is actually eighty to ninety percent on the Valencian region. So we have about thirty five to thirty six partner schools and clubs in in the whole region. We uh, the, the the biggest the biggest uh, KPI for our scouting department is that we have to get the best talents first from our region before we look outwards, because that that is the most sustainable model that we want to head towards. Um, in terms of looking at the player in the past, we, you know, it, it, it is a more generic model of if this player is good, we take him in and, and all that. But now we, we have moved more towards quality over quantity. And as I've said, uh, as I've mentioned with the first team, we are much more closely coordinated now. So we start planning for the future. In, in the first team, where are the gaps that we need to plug for the next five years, you know? So if a certain position, can, it can be the goalkeeper or the central defender, it's a, it's, a, it's a position which we don't have players who are relatively young and ready to play in the first team, then our priority has to be in these positions for, for, for a certain age group. They are ready to, to, to progress to the first team in two years, you know, to match that gap. So this, is in term, more in terms of the planning. And then so we have a much clearer pipeline in terms of player uh, recruitment. And that helps us to prioritize the, the, the positions or the types of players that we want. For example, if you have a central defender, we have you know, uh, many right-footed central defenders and we lack a left-footed central defender. That helps to narrow down the scope of our scouting to a certain profile, style, and you know, build and all that. And, and I think um, apart from the sporting profile, one thing that we have also reviewed a lot over the past one to two years is um, we, we start to look a lot more at the personality of the player as well. Can this player be a good uh, figure in the dressing room? Uh, we, 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 we search for a lot of references from their past coaches, from their current teammates, from their families and all that, just to make a much more uh, holistic and full uh, assessment of players. Because at a young age, most of the players, you know, they have, you know, if, if I mean, apart from the exceptions who are world-class at a young age, the rest, you can have a lot of good players coming in. But what sets them apart for the academy project, whether they can make it to the next step, sometimes it depends on the character. You know, I, I, you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of people about academy of players and, and very often the subject that comes up, a player in particular is Yunus. You know, people notice how he approaches every game with a smile. Our coaches and our players also, you know, talks about how even when he, he, in the past year, when he had to move down uh, to a to a to a younger team to continue his progression, 
you know, he, he approached it with a very positive act- attitude. He was smiling. He was always doing his best. When he went to the first team, he maintained that kind of uh, demeanor and, and acti- attitude. And this is something that sometimes can make a big difference in terms of the players that we bring in. You can have a huge talent. He comes in and if he's disruptive to the, the dynamics of the rest of the team, that's not what we want, you know. We have some players who might come in. In terms of his level, he might not be clearly, you know, uh, miles ahead of the others. But if he improves the dynamics of the team, why not? You know, it's it's a smaller problem for us in the long run, right? So, so technically, yes, we can look at that. We 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 can look at you know uh, the, the the abilities of the players physicals, condition, we look at all that as well. We look at all the, the measures. We might not have a lot of data in this aspect, especially at a young age, because a lot of clubs don't do it yet, but we, we, we do trials. We watch them live um, to get as clear a picture as possible. And then we, we do all the references for the non-sporting side as well. So as, as you have noticed as well, you know, the, the human side becomes this uh, overarching thread in all the work that we're doing. Um, and um, I, I, I think it has been working, but uh, it is also something that is a bit difficult to, to quantify and to really put down into metrics at this current moment. There, there is sometimes if you're assessing something like the character and personality, there is, uh, it's very difficult to, to, to use certain criteria to really assess. So right now we, we are also in the middle of, you know, trying to, to, to put all these things into a proper system and, and, and structure. Um, but as much as possible, you know, how people speak about them, we try to, if possible, we, 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 we talk to the family, we talk to the players as well, get a sense of, 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 of his character and, as much as possible, this has helped us a lot. There will, there will always be, there, I mean, it's always an, a gamble. We cannot be 100% spot on. Um, but I think that has contributed greatly to our work in terms of, if we have a list of five good players in this position, five of them are, in terms of their football level, they're quite close. Then what's going to be the deal breaker? It has to be something towards the, the character and personality. So, so this is something that we found quite useful at this stage. Well, we've spoken about the whole academy process, so to speak now, Sean, in terms of identifying the player, number one, filtering them out, then developing in terms of what you have as regards to Valencia training model and support staff around, and how just being a human, I suppose, is at the forefront of the player's development. I suppose players like... Carlos Soler and most recently Younes Mensa, who have successfully yeah. come through the academy process. What are some of the common traits which those players have shared that make it true to the pro game? I, I, I think, as I mentioned, the first is the personality. They have to be um, very, very positive, very, very committed to having a football career. They have. They are players who have never ever taken the easy way out. Um, they they have had bad patches, you know, but that that has never ever stopped them from wanting to grow further to do better. 
they, they, they ne never ever took all these difficult situations to be excuses. They have never ever um, taken things for granted as well. Like, you know, or, uh, it's an obligation for me to play in a certain team or a certain level. I need to play this amount of games. I need to be in the starting 11. They understood all these things as part of their football development. So one of the most... Um, uh, a, 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 a mantra for us in the academy is educating people, developing footballers. So this, this thing, I think, encapsulates as well how we look at all these values, all these soft skills and traits of the players uh, who have helped them to, to progress through the stages. I mean, when I came there, people told me that, you know, Jose Luis Gaia, who is now our, our, our captain, uh, playing from the Spanish national team. At a certain point, some people said, you know, I think he's a bit too small, not strong enough and all that. But that has never ever stopped him for wanting to grow and improving other aspects of his game. You know, so this is, I think, the hunger and resilience that really defines all the players that have really made it to the next level. Um, you have to, you have to be hungry enough. You have to be, um, you know, determined when you are in a bad stage, which will definitely happen to all young players. You have to see it through. You don't blame others. You you are focused enough individually to want to overcome that to come out of that bad stage. You have to remain focused and also to have that confidence with the academy, because. Um, I mean, for, for a lot of academies that we spoke to, as well, you have situations where players, when they, they felt that their progression has curtailed a bit, they start, you know, finding faults in, I think it's a problem with the coach, I think it's a problem with the academy, uh, I think it's a problem with my team in general, but it's never about themselves. I think this is something that is very important. They need to have a very clear commitment to this football career ahead of them to understand that look you can blame it on 99% of other things but the 1% which is yourself that is something that you can never ever run away from prove yourself make uh, uh, make your difference and yes we can try to change the other factors no problem but your part you have an equally huge responsibility as well to, to, to complement the work that we're doing as, a, as an academy before you can make it to the next stage. And I think, um, for example, like Carlos Soler, Gaia, you know, players who have come through our academy, they are, you know, uh, Valencianistas at heart. They come from the region. They, they love the academy project. They love the first team so much. And I think that is a special ingredient that has really helped them through this whole process as well. Yunus came, Yunus himself, I mean, it's incredible, his character, his personality, that has really helped him to adapt very quickly, to really buy into, to, to, to settle into this whole culture and our direction, to believe in the project as well, and to believe in himself, and eventually he made the step, and, and the rest is history. And, you know, sometimes people start to forget as well, that, hey, they are still very young, Footballers, compared compared to a lot of other footballers, they are they're very very young, and they have a 
huge future ahead of them. So for example, like Soler, essentially he has not made his mark with the national team yet, but I'm sure he will at some point. And I think this, it is this resilience that will help him get there eventually. I think one of the most interesting developments in football in respect to COVID has been, you know, there's been a dramatic decrease in player valuations across the board. However, one group which seems immune from that and actually the converse has happened and we've seen an inflation has been yep. in the price of young players. Yep. Now, Sean, how integral therefore do you see youth development becoming as part of the operating system of a club going forward? I suppose we have you have external um, mm -hmm. things on the horizon also with the European Super League, the prospect of that, um, increased measures with financial fair play. How yep. crucial a role will youth development be to the operating system of a club like yours at Valencia? I think um, essentially what this whole COVID situation has uh, exposed is that the, the old model is not really sustainable, right? There, there are a lot of uh, pit holes in, in, in the old model. Um, people have started to jump onto the band, bandwagon of, of youth development and the academies and all that. But there are also clubs, I, I think, uh, including like Brentford, who, who has decided to, to stop having an academy. So I think it depends on the club as well. It depends on your, your operating model. If, uh, if, if you don't have that confidence to develop and groom players through your, your academy, essentially it becomes a huge financial burden as well. Every year, you know, you're spending on so many teams, so many players, and if they don't make make it to, to your first team, then ROI in terms of, of your investment. Um, but I think moving forward, there is definitely a lot of uh, a lot more interest in terms of young players, uh, and and players have to come from somewhere essentially. For us, we are very fortunate because we're in a, a location where it's a huge trove of football talents in Valencia. Um, we have been blessed with a lot of all these players coming through our ranks. Um, in, the, in the long run, what we have to do for, for ourselves is that to, to maintain a balance where, you know, like I said, if we have a very clear coordination and pipeline of young players coming through and they are good enough for the first team, then there is no longer any real need for us to spend big money for a proven player for the first team in the same position. Then there is a much clearer allocation and, and, and uh, you know, use of resources to really invest in areas that you know, we, we, we cannot groom a player in this position and we don't have someone in our ranks for this position. Then, yes, we have to invest in that. The, the, the thing now is there's going to be a huge competition for, for a lot of young players. A lot of clubs are doing that, especially at the age group that is closest to the first team level. Um, and we have to be very careful because there's a huge risk of uh, all these prices being inflated as well. We also have to help our players understand the, the, the challenge for us is this. Many players might start to see a lot of offers and interest from other clubs outside of Valencia as well. But 
um, they have to understand that look, they have the environment and the system to really, you know, continue your development, even if you are assigned for the first team in a different club. And you might not be ready at this stage. But here we do have a very clear progression to the first team in development, and we want to groom you to, to really maximize your potential. So these are things that we have to guard against. Financially, it makes a lot of sense for us because um, with all the players coming through, I think over the past 29 years of our, of our training ground, since we inaugurated our training ground, we have about 101 players who have come through the academy to, to the first team. So this is an amazing number. And, and, and it's a statistic that shows that, you know, it, it is uh, a very sustainable model. Um, there is no need to, to go crazy in terms of um, spending in the market, especially at such a bad time. Uh, so fortunately, you know, we have been working on this academy, as I said, it's a big cornerstone of our, of, of our club. So it's not something that uh, we had to rush into to, to get it up to speed in, in, in a matter of months. It's something that we've been working very closely with. So we were ready. To, to have a lot of all these players coming through. Uh, we, we, in fact, you know, we, we have been working with uh, tighter resources, tighter purse strings, but with the structure and all the positive momentum that has been going on in the academy, I think um, this is something that has shown through during this complicated period. We, we, we still have positive results coming out. For other academies, if you are going to take the plunge right now, you see, you, you, you need that uh, confidence and commitment to really wait for the fruits in two or three years more. You're not going to see immediate results. So, so we, we have the advantage at this current moment. I think in general, a lot of clubs have to understand and, and define what is really their, their club model. Is it something that's based on an academy? Are they based geographically in a place where you know, they face a lot of competition from other bigger clubs? who are going to take all the best talents or uh, is there a huge pool of football talent in, in their location in the, in the first place? Because um, if you don't, then maybe it doesn't really make a lot of financial sense or sporting sense to, to do something like that. So I would say in the whole, all, of the, all, the, all clubs have to really evaluate and assess their, their, their market, their, their expectations as a club and also all these other variables surrounding them. Are they in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, hot spot for football talent? Are they uh, a, a place where, you know, you have fans who are really rooting for your young talents coming through um, and, and, and things like that? And are they really prepared to invest in the youth academy? Because, I mean, if the moment you, you start and open a youth training facility, you, you have to go through with it for the next few years. So, so this is... Uh, something that I think all clubs have, have to really assess and, and decide what, what model works for them. And finally, to close, Sean, in your role as Academy Director, what does mm. success mean to you? I think um, it's, it's actually very clear. It's, a, it's a one, one or two things. Um, the first is really to see players, more and more players from our academy, making it to the professional level. And, and for me, that if, if, if they have their professional career at Valencia, 
that's perfect for me. But if they you know, are carving out their trade in a different league, a different level, different team, it's, it's, you know, it reflects on the work that we have done. And it's, uh, it's going to bring us a tremendous amount of pride for our, for our staff, our colleagues, my team, everyone in the academy, everyone in the club. Um, at the same time, I think uh, a, a part of it is that we want to see players who have come through our system um, essentially making a mark in society as well, even if they decide not to be a footballer or if they do not make the cut, as we have said, it's a reality. If 95% of them do not become a footballer, but if they go on to have a very fulfilling career, they are essentially ambassadors for our academy project as well. Those who, you know, if unfortunately their career was cut short by uh, an injury, but they go on to have a career in, in physiotherapy, in sports science, come back as a coach for us, or even you know, go into other industries, banking and all that, and they are having uh, a very good career. I think that really is a, a source of tremendous pride for us in the academy. Yeah. I think it's you're nearly redefining the life cycle of an academy player, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sean, I'd like to thank you once more for coming on the pod. Um, absolute pleasure speaking with you as always. Thank you. Thank you. I wish you all of Valencia um, the best of luck for the rest of the season and hope to be in touch thank soon. Thank you. Top man, Sean. Definitely. Thank you.